All right, guys, before we get stuck into today's episode, I want to thank the major sponsor of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, Unify Health Supplements. Unify have the highest quality ingredients on the market along with the best tasting products. You guys can head to unifyactive.com and use the code DJK10 to get 10% off all products on the website. So that's DJK10 at unifyactive.com to save 10% on all products with Unify Health Supplements. Let's get stuck into the show. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Dan, welcome back to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, brother. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I mentioned before I hit record that our previous episode has been one of our most downloaded episodes on the show, and the feedback was incredible. And I always just really appreciate and feel a a lot of gratitude to be able to sit down and chat with someone um, with knowledge like yourself and experience in the industry. And firstly, I just wanted to express my gratitude for your time um, because I know you are a busy man with a lot on your plate. So the fact that you're sitting here with us today, um, I'm really appreciative of it. That's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear that your audience is as insane as me, because if people are getting, if my episode's the one getting downloaded the most, then I know a lot of people out there must be as weird as me and we are good to go. So thanks for having me back, dude. The first one was a blast and I'm excited to dig into some more stuff this time. Brilliant, man. Our audience on the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast is, is a good mix. It's, you know, it's a lot of people who are really heavily invested into becoming the best version of themselves both physically, mentally, professionally, the whole the whole rounds. But what I the question I asked you before I hit record before, I absolutely loved your answer because for those that aren't aware, you've recently just done a, a pretty in-depth physique transformation, which was incredible. And we'll dive into that in the episode today. But you're also someone who has a lot on your plate in terms of you know, just life in general, but also career. And, and um, you raised a really good point when I asked you before as to how you found the difficulty of maintaining, you know, all your, your professional tasks while you were getting deep into that deficit. Cause I know for a lot of people, particularly as that fat loss, fat loss phase goes on and, and we do get leaner and all of a sudden you're not eating as much food and you're, you're a little sore than usual and, and things start to get a little tough. That's when, you know, what, what do they say? Separate the men from the boys. Right. So, um, right. so I'd love to, I'd love for you to dive into your mentality. Um, that you came into this physique transformation phase with, particularly when it got to the pointy end? Sure. So first of all, I've got a lot to say on this. Like this is the topic where I think that in some cases there there is a major emphasis on say recovery and, and balance in the industry at times. And I'm a guy who just thinks that balance is what you make of it. Our definition of balance is different from one another and how we want to balance our efforts is is dependent upon what we currently want to prioritize. So like if I'm balancing work and life or if I'm balancing training and life or if I'm balancing whatever it is, how I allocate that balance is up to me and not you. 
So when someone says something like, hey, man, you need some balance. Maybe you should play some video games. Hey, man, you need some balance. Maybe you should have some fast food. It's like, that's your version of balance. Why are you afflicting your version of balance upon me? I've never understood that at all. Um, balance is what you make of it. And we're going to have different versions of balance as we go through life. You're going to have a balance in college. You're going to have a balance in high school. You're going to have a different balance when you're a dad. You're going to have a different balance when you're a businessman. And then at sometimes that balance, if it's a pie chart, it is just going to naturally grow and sink in different other areas of your life, but still equal 100% each and every single time. But then that pie chart of the allocation of effort will still only zap your energy reserves and fatigue to the degree that you allow it to. So if I mm -hmm. enjoy the hell out of my job, is 12 hours of work really that fatiguing to me to compare it to somebody who hates their job and works for 12 hours? It's not. It's completely different. And you can even look into the research on this. Almost all of the fatigue that we receive from events is mental. It is. It's like when you talk to your grandpa for 15 minutes and it feels like it was 15 hours. Sometimes you have those situations where mentally you're like, you're gone. It's like, oh my God. But then you can talk to someone else for 15 minutes and it actually energizes you. It doesn't yeah. take anything away from you. It's 100% mental. The same thing happened for 15 minutes, but it's both 100% mental. So there is a point of A, balance is what you make of it. And then B, I think that it is a major, um, it is a major thing to be grateful for that we have the opportunity to set goals. So when somebody has says like, hey man, how do you keep up with this? How, how do you, how do you even do this? Like, man, you don't realize how lucky it is that I get to set a fat loss goal that I get mm. to set a business goal, that I get to, like I. this is something I get to do. I don't have to do any of this shit. So if you decide to wear the hat to do the shit that you're talking about, then you need to wear the hat to do the shit that you're talking about. And what I mean by that is if I want to wear the hat of somebody who is going to get maximally lean, then I better do the things of somebody who does things to become maximally lean. If I want to mm. wear the hat of being an entrepreneur, then I better exude the routines and habits and rituals of that of an entrepreneur and the work ethic of that. If I want to wear the hat of being a great dad, well, then I still better be a great dad on top of doing the other things. If you want to wear the hat in these different categories of life, then you simply have to execute those things or else you're somebody who kind of just talks shit and doesn't execute what you say you're going to do. And that's the fastest way to lose integrity on your brand. Somebody who says things that they don't do is like one of the most unattractive, hypocritical things that you'll ever come across. And I just never want to be that guy. So in that lens, if I'm going to wear the hat of these things and I have announced to the world, but more importantly, I have announced to myself that I'm going to execute those things, then I have to execute them. And sometimes you have to embody the mentality of, I don't really give a shit how I feel today because I'm going to go execute those things. That's that's just yeah. something that I have really encompassed is that I'm always, I'm not even after, and this is going to sound, hopefully, hopefully your weird audience will empathize with my weirdness on this one, but I'm not <laughs> even after happiness a lot of the time. Uh -huh. I'm really not. I don't wake up and I'm like, what can I do to be happy today? I don't, I don't ever think about that. I think about what can I do to be prideful today? What's going to bring me pride? Accomplishment. If I seek happiness, I might just play God of War for six hours. And then ultimately, that's going to make me unhappy. But if I seek things that make me prideful, I will go train. 
And then I will go get my work done. And then I will be an excellent dad. And then I will be an excellent husband. And then as an extension of being prideful, I will be happy. And sometimes when you're doing mm. something that you're going to be proud of, you're going to have to bust through fatigue barriers. You're busting through fatigue barriers that entire way through. And it became originally from the thought that you wanted to wear the hat to execute these things. So balance is what you make of it. If you say you're going to do something, then you're wearing the uniform and the hat in order to execute those things. And sometimes you're just going to have to not listen to your body the whole way through. But at the end, if you're prideful of what you finished, then fuck yeah, man. No one can tell you to change your life because you did what you wanted to do and you finished the job. Man, that's such such an incredible answer. And it's something that I think so many people need to hear. And you know, on this show, I've used the analogy so many times um, around the volume dial, right? It's like we have the volume dial that is either turned all the way up or or maybe halfway down or maybe all the way down at some points in time, but the fundamentals and the structure remains the same. And the, the point you made around the fact that, you know, you are the one who made that decision that you want to, to transform your physique. No one's making you do this shit. So you can't just go to your business partners, hey guys, look, I'm uh, I'm really just trying to bring out the abs for the next 12 weeks. So if you guys can just fucking pick up all my workload while I, I focus on, on just trying to, to eat and train, that'd be awesome. Like that's not how fucking life works, right? And, and it's a yeah. decision that you made and it's, and it's something that you need to, to carry. And is that something that you, whether it's you personally, obviously I would assume it would be, but even with clients in particular that, you preface at the start of, of any form of, of transformation or um, physique journey where it's sitting down and, and looking at, hey, these are the things that I need to, this is my like responsibility um, in order to to make sure that things continue to flow the way they should be throughout this, this period. Here's what I'm going to need to do to make sure that happens, right? Because even I had uh, Dr. John Demartini on, um, a while back and something that he said that I, I really liked was, and you've almost touched on it now. It's like when we go to set any goal, we also have to understand the the negatives that can potentially occur throughout that that um, period as well. Otherwise, when they do happen, it's like we're fucking so surprised and it just smacks us in the face and, and we just can't believe that something bad has gone wrong. Same thing throughout a fat loss phase. We have to account for so many different factors and particularly if you are running a business or you have a family, whatever it may be, so that when these things arise, we're prepared and ready to to continue to push forward and move through that. For sure. And you're basically just looking at certain buckets and which ones are going to empty first and then finding ways to offset the rate of the emptying of that bucket yeah. and what you're going to do to overcome it. So like, for example, if somebody has a real hard time following their diet, uh, something that I've gravitated a lot to is utilizing carbohydrate cycling for those people. Carbohydrate cycling is a, is a very beautiful method. It's a, something I use for both hypertrophy and fat loss very frequently. Um, I, I really think that when it is done correctly, that there is a type of effect that you don't get from other approaches. Um, when it is done accurately and, and done well and done consistently, carbohydrate cycling is excellent. But from in the context of this question, from a psychological perspective, you have built in protective mechanisms because you have a high day to look forward to every week. Sometimes you mm -hmm. have two high days to look forward to every week. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to stay on your plan when there's always light at the end of the tunnel. You, it, it, man, you know, Friday, you get that high day. And you, or you know, Saturday, you get that high day and you can kind of stack that wherever you want, dependent upon your training split. Like you're pr probably going to want to put it on large muscle groups and weak body parts. 
So if you get two high days and you've got uh, weak arms and weak legs, and we'll probably put high day on arm day, high day on leg day, and then you're probably going to get a high day midweek and then a high day weekend. And then you've got two spikes in carbohydrate intake that are drastic that you can look forward to every week. So it's like built-in cheat meals, built-in high days, built-in days where you can have all kind of rice, all kind of pasta, all kind of potato, whatever it is. Like there, there are ways where like if that is the bucket that bothers you is when you look at your diet and it is just one zombie walk of hypocalorism yeah. <laughs> and it's the same thing the whole way through but that's tough man that's tough yeah. even for david goggins characters so like you kind of have to have that I, I really like the cycling approach for acute um acute overcoming of hurdles and then every 12 weeks i'll put people on full diet breaks to maintenance so they'll just yeah. go back up to maintenance for seven to 14 days so not only do they get one to two refeeds per week in this carbohydrate cycling process, but every third month, they're getting two weeks off going to maintenance and that one's yeah. not cycled. So they're just able to hang out at maintenance every single day. They're, hang they're hanging out at maintenance, which is a great way to live. And depending upon their metabolism, I'll, I might actually do a diet break every eight to 12 weeks. But if they're, if things are going the way that they should be, it shouldn't be needed before 12 weeks. But then we've got that mm. built-in refeeds. We've got those built-in diet breaks. So then you're essentially looking at the battlefield ahead and creating strategies, again, to offset the bucket of a lack of adherence. That's that client's problem. But then you mentioned entrepreneurs too. So an yeah. entrepreneur, they're not always going to measure their pride okay it's probably going to be a theme of this they're not going to measure their pride always by their six-pack lots of times they're getting healthy for the purpose of having energy for the purpose of being yes. productive for the purpose of getting rich like th those people are after <laughs> yeah. that they want money they want impact they want status they're after these things so and there's nothing wrong with that other people's goals are their goals and my goals are mine all when someone comes to me i just want to accelerate the gas pedal on whatever the hell they came to me for so in this case of an entrepreneur i'm going to look ahead and i'm going to actually look at their schedule what i'm going to do i'm going to see Monday to Sunday, and you talk to any real entrepreneur, that schedule is already built. They'll be able to just send it to you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they, yeah. Have, yeah <laughs> they have their productivity windows. They have their windows when they have meetings. They have their windows when they're supposed to do deep work. They'll have their windows of travel. You're going to be able to see all this shit right away. So what I'll essentially do is look at the week and map out a type of nootropic protocol for them. Mm. A big mistake people make when they talk about and think about nootropics is they kind of just take them. And they're like, was I more focused? Was I, yeah. did I, did I do more stuff? It's like the, the, the <laughs> world that, what neurotransmitter are you trying to accelerate and why? Um, what effect are you trying to achieve and why? Is it memory retention? Is it skill acquisition? Is it just focus? Is it appetite suppression? Like these are all things that actually help an entrepreneur. So if you want to um, accelerate, say, social ability, like, one thing that I have found that is absolutely excellent at enhancing sociability, so your ability to actually just have conversations with people, be positive about it, is Lion's Mane. Lion's Mane yeah. is something where, say, if you're on a podcast, like right now. I just had some just before um, we jumped on. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So it's actually excellent for like a, a very good social concept. But what I found with Lion's Mane is that you've got to take it for about three months in order to maximize its effect. So that okay. matters too. Like it's almost almost has like an adaptogen type of effect like that, where you're not just going to take it like caffeine and then 30 minutes later go, damn, 
I'm on a different Similar, level. So like creating obviously different different pathways, but and different effect. But yeah, but something that's a slow burn, but yeah. something that's an undeniable benefit. So like understanding the time course for things matters too. So like I can use linesman at a certain time. Um, we can use something like a new pep to uh, enhance skill acquisition. So whether you're going to do it to learn something new in your business, or if you're going to do it before jujitsu, these are things that something like new peps can help with. Um, mm. If you're going to take something like a saffron, saffron is something that I've used in the past with uh, myself, but also clientele because it can help with focus, but it's also a great appetite suppressant. So if you're on a Zoom marathon, which we're all very familiar with, you go from, <laughs> say, nine to four and you got no real breaks at all, then something like a combination of, say, Lion's Mane and Saffron, where you get much more of a social effect out of it, but then also an appetite suppression effect out of it, plus more focus from it from the Saffron as well, then you're able to, to look at somebody's schedule and say, all right, I'm going to put this dude in hypocalorism, which is traditionally seen by his past experience as a bad thing. And seeing as the industry as whole as a bad and uncomfortable thing, it's almost expected that I'm going to lose focus at work. I'm going to build this into his protocol. My man's actually going to be more productive because he's new yeah. to nootropics and the diet I'm going to put on, put him on is better than what he's currently eating. And we're, when we actually kickstart that fat loss phase, it, it, you actually feel way better. It's only like in the final weeks where you actually start to feel like shit. And it's only in the final weeks if you're actually lean, when you actually start that's to feel thing, bad, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the but thing. I think before that, yeah, go just ahead. that, just that quickly, like even that's worth mentioning. Like, um, and obviously, we'll have links to to your socials and the website and everything in the show notes. But for anyone that was following along with Dan's physique transformation, it wasn't your typical. I'm just going to drop a few kgs uh, while the weather's a bit warmer, so I can take my get my rig out down at the beach. It was like elite levels of of low body fat percentage with muscle retention and conditioning which is a big fucking difference in terms of how you feel physically in comparison to let's say where your physique was at maybe eight weeks prior where which which is you know for some people where they're going to be aiming to to reach as a as an end point as well yeah for sure yeah like it, that that end point for some people they don't even actually it's all mental until you actually yeah. get lean until it's only like three weeks out ish um, you're actually, you shouldn't even feel many negative effects and you should really just mm. feel great <laughs> the more and more yeah. with, especially if you get those refeeds and especially if you get a diet break, like you're actually going to be in a great spot. So like that, that whole process, if you're able to just look ahead at the battlefield and then see where the minds are for that individual person, and then your, your job is to remove those minds. Like my tools of choice, like nootropics help the business guys. Refeeds help people who struggle with acute adherence. And acute adherence matters because the number one motivator is results. So if yep. I can get that person with acute adherence problems, results in the first couple of weeks, well, then I do those refeeds and I get them going. Typically, they see those results fast and then commitment takes them from there. They don't need as much motivation anymore because commitment's gonna gonna roll from there. But then the mm. person who has been um, on the road for a long time. And there's someone who is continuing to kind of struggle um, at this point, then the diet breaks kind of kick in for those people and really for everybody throughout that process too. But um, I guess I'll say one last thing here. And this is kind of just a trick that I used in this most recent lane down. I think my camera is, uh... there we go. Um, <laughs> in my most recent lane down, um, I, I came across exogenous ketones um, and, and I got paid nothing for saying this. Um, right. it was like this, I've been taking supplements for, uh, man, so long. 
Um, I couldn't tell you how much money I've wasted on supplements that didn't work. <laughs> um, oh my God. Um, especially like in my teen years before I really started digging into yeah. the research myself, all I wanted to get, all I wanted to do was get jacked and every piece of marketing ever worked on me. So yeah. I, uh, like from, from ages 14, that whole teen year, I spent so much money on stuff. So I, long story short, I've been taking supplements for a very, very long time because of how much different stuff I've taken and tried and experimented with, not a lot of things hit me in a unique way anymore. Exogenous mm. ketones actually did. That's like the wow. one of the things that's actually of worth note that I've came across in quite some time. And uh, it, came, it was worth note for three reasons. And the business thing kind of sparked my mind. Number one, increased focus and attention span. Number two, awesome, awesome appetite suppression. And number three, increased performance. So all three really? of those, it, it came as a result of some exogenous ketone supplementation. So having about 10 grams of exogenous ketones, um, mentally, physically, and an appetite suppressive way, um, that is something that uh, I'm actually quite for at this time. And, and for even on the professional athlete level, like say somebody going through a fight camp, putting in some ketones mm -hmm. in that process it's it kind of starts to make sense. Yeah, they're going to want mental focus. They're going to want appetite suppression because they're in hypocalorism trying to make weight for a weight class, but they have to still see performance going up or else they're going to it's going to mess with their mind moving yeah. into a fight. And the ketones just help the process dramatically. And it's not either or either. You can take ketones with carbohydrates and then just smash both and, and you feel amazing. Man, that's interesting. That's I'm definitely going to look a little more into that. Um, and is that something that prior, uh, since, sorry, since you utilize those, um, ketones throughout your deficit, you've now started adding in for, for clients or for others that you've seen the same effect. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's the thing. That's like, that's like, I don't know if I've said that on a podcast ever before. It's still quite fresh and new to me, Yeah. but like something, the, this is something that kind of hit me in a way that I haven't been hit in a while. It's a very, mm. very solid thing to it. And obviously I'm not saying it's for everyone, but I'm, I am saying that it's worth to experiment because again, I've tried basically everything. And um, this was a new and different thing that um, allowed me to just have another source of fuel for mind and body that um, just helped me take things to the next level. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. You mentioned before around the, the calorie the carbohydrate cycling which is something i'm a massive advocate of as well when you are cycling the calories uh, the carbohydrates i kind of just fucked up my own question there are you also cycling the calorie intake on those higher days as well or are you just manipulating the ratio of carbohydrates and fats no no i'm cycling calories too and i keep it real cool. simple so yeah. I'll, I'll essentially have someone at maintenance and then their low day is at 80 percent of maintenance and their high day is at 120% of maintenance. Yeah. And then it's actually how you structure your week that determines the degree of that. Yeah. So three medium days and three low days and one high day, it's a 5% calorie deficit. But now if we do four low days, two medium days and one high day, that's a 10% deficit. And you actually, yeah, you nice. can continue. I, I actually, I don't just crunch the numbers a thousand times over. I have them pre-crunched <laughs> so that I do their maintenance. And then we've got their low, medium, high. And then based on their weekly split is when I'll go 5%, 10%, 15, 20, 25, 30. And I'll progress the deficit by choosing the days rather than re-crunching the numbers a thousand times over. That's really cool. I like that. And 
you mentioned before around the placement of those higher carbohydrate days. Have you found that placing the the higher caloric and carbohydrate days on the actual day that you are targeting that weaker muscle group more effective than the day prior? Yeah, I have. I know. And if you watch the ultimate nutrition mentorship I recorded in 2017, I actually say get it in the day before so that you have that fuel Mm -hmm. going into the next day. I now disagree with myself. So that's just something I've been open to changing my mind about over time. Um, What I'll essentially do is your low day is 25 every day. This will change over the course of time, but I'll give you an example. Pretty much every time someone's going to have around one gram of protein per pound of body weight. And then their low day is 25% of the calories from fats. Medium day, 15% of the calories from fats. High day, 5% of the calories from fats. Okay. And then carbs just make up the remainder of all three of those days. Yeah, we've already set protein. It's the same every day, regardless. Fat goes 25, 15, 5 from low, medium, high. And then carbs make up the remainder of all that. So then that's how the cycling works. And then based on your weekly split is how I'll do the deficit over time. But that's basically the framework of the diet as a whole. But I will now put on weak body part days or uh, weak body part days or large muscle groups is where the high day is going. I used to do it on the day before, but in terms of uh, maximizing, it, it just makes so much more sense to me now. Both of them make sense. I'll say that. Both of them make sense. However, if you are if you have a low day before a high day, you're actually maximally priming insulin sensitivity for the high day. Yeah. So I do like to have that low prior to the high. And then since the high is predicated on maximizing the growth of a muscle group or utilizing um, very large muscle groups, then things like GLUT4 translocation, things like um, upregulated glycogen synthase activity, things like insulin sensitivity, things like maximizing growth, maximizing mTOR, maximizing the, the fuel of the muscle in an acute sense so that the training volume can be more productive for a longer period of time maximizing the pump during that workout. There's so many major values that you can have that are actually acute. And that's what changed my mind over time is the acute nature of that biochemical activity and the acute effect that I want to get on that muscle. And then also from a recovery perspective too, if I hit a large muscle group and then my high day was the day before, oh man, my stimulus was probably great, but what about my adaptation? Right. You know, we, we don't actually build muscle in the gym. What we do is we create a stimulus for muscle growth in the gym. Yeah. Everything we do outside of the gym determines whether or not we actually adapt to that stimulus. If it's a high day, I can actually maximize stimulation and maximize adaptation. We get as many calories as possible, as many carbs as possible, as many upregulation of the biochemical uh, uh, systems as possible. And then it's also actually set up better by having better insulin sensitivity by the day before. So I I do like to set it up that way now. And I've just simply seen better results that way. And I would assume for those listening as well, there's a high importance placed on that high day around pre, peri and post nutrition. Because I would assume it's not going to be anywhere near as effective if you're backloading all of your calories towards the end of the day, but then you're your training session is first thing in the morning and you're still training in the same state you were in the, the day prior. Yeah, a hundred percent. So something I like to say to my athletes so that they get it is um, I, no matter what, even if we're in a diet, 
I want you to train hypercaloric, but live hypocaloric. Yep. That's the mindset I always want them to have. You're going to train hypercaloric. So no matter what, you're going to have tons of nutrients around the workout window. And then you can live hypocaloric. Because living hypocaloric is actually you know more comfortable than people live give off until of course you get to the end stage of a diet, but like what that's why so many people like fasting. They just have more mental yeah. clarity. They 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 feel lighter. They feel like their digestion improved. Make. Yeah, less decisions to make. They they they're just more fluid throughout the day. Um, there's, there's a lot of pros that comes with just feeling light and have not farting all the time. You know, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice life to live. So what I'll generally do is um, have a ton of pre-digested nutrients in and around the workout session. You've basically got four golden rules to follow for pre-workout nutrition. You need to have amino acid availability in the blood. You need to have uh -huh. glucose availability in the blood. You need to have optimal hydration and you need to accomplish goals one, two, and three while avoiding gastrointestinal distress. So just to kind of quickly go through, because these are these are all concepts that we, you and I could yeah. go hours about, but just to yeah. kind of quickly hammer some things home, um, we got amino acid availability in the blood because we do want to support muscle protein synthesis. We want to offset muscle protein breakdown. Um, we want to have these amino acids available for precursors like tyrosine into, uh, into adrenaline and noradrenaline, tyrosine also into dopamine. Um, we also have these amino acids such as uh, glutamine and glycine that help us uptake electrolytes more effectively into the muscle cell than if we were to just take water and electrolytes alone. So like for the purpose mm -hmm. of hydration, muscle growth, muscle recovery, um, starting the recovery process before the workout's even over, maximizing neurotransmitter activity, the amino acid availability. There's just a lot of pros that happen in that department. It's also yeah. insulinogenic by itself. So hormonally, we are getting anabolism, anti-catabolism. And then from its glucose availability, we have muscle glycogen from the day prior. And then in the workout time, we want to have blood glucose because muscle glycogen drives muscular performance, but blood glucose drives nervous system performance. So the analogy I like to utilize with people is that it doesn't matter how big your engine is, which is your muscle, if no one's behind the wheel driving the car, which is the mm. nervous system. Your nervous system is what actually recruits your muscle fibers and allows them to contract at max maximal force and maximal velocity. But that is fueled by blood glucose. So if we've got our muscle glycogen already from the day before and probably topped off from our pre-workout yep. meal anyways... During the session, I'm going to want glucose availability to maximize my driver's performance because my engine's ready to go. So our glucose is performing uh, nervous system and muscular performance during that time on top of doing all of the other things. It is insulinogenic. It is fueling both of those. Um, it is a component of hydration. It's in the name, carbohydrate. It allows us mm -hmm. to uptake electrolytes more effectively than if we were to take water and electrolytes alone. There's a reason why in things like Pedialyte, which helps people to not uh, diarrhea to death in hospitals, um, you give that to someone to force hydration if they've got a terrible infection. Um, yeah. There's carbs in that. And that's not to make it taste awesome. They're trying to save people's <laughs> lives. There's carbs in that yeah. to maximize hydration, maximize osmolarity, do all those great things, right? So then we have carbs in there and glucose availability for that. And then we want optimal hydration as well during this time. Hydration coming in the form of not just water, but water plus electrolytes. Because although water is the hydrative agent, um, electrolytes are what actually allows us to hold on to that water. So getting things mm -hmm. like sodium, 
potassium, magnesium. These are all in here to help us maximize electrolyte status as well, because sodium is driving muscular contractions, but potassium is driving muscular relaxation. So sodium driving velocity of contractions, but then potassium making sure you don't get cramps while you train. And then magnesium is actually regulating intra and extracellular concentrations of both of them. So magnesium, it doesn't even matter if you have optimal sodium and optimal potassium, because if we have suboptimal magnesium, then we're not getting the regulation of either. So right. getting in all three to keep things simple, you can just do a one to one to one ratio of all three. If you're a salty mm -hmm. sweater, that's when we would increase your salt. Or if you want a big ass pump, you would increase your yeah. salt because that really helps with cell swelling as well. And then that is our amino acid availability, glucose availability, and hydration. But the, finally, the fourth rule you want to follow is accomplishing goals one, two, and three while minimizing gastrointestinal distress. And that's simply because I don't care what anybody tells you about peri-workout nutrition. I don't care what I tell you about peri-workout nutrition. If you get bloated from it, it's the wrong strategy for you, period. Because mm. everybody knows the feeling of um, working out with something in their gut. You just, it's never productive. You ever, yeah. you ever work out bloated or tried to play basketball bloated or play, yeah. you just, it, do it's never bloated. good. <laughs> you can't do, you do it anything. Bloated. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's impossible to do anything. Even a stand <laughs> efforting 10 minute walk after your meal, totally bloated is a hard thing to do. <laughs> so RPS and RPA some, non. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, to tie in your shoes before the walk bloated is a tough task. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it doesn't, some, you'll just hear crazy shit people do. It's like a hundred carbs of this. Uh, you have to take 15 grams of leucine and then have it, dude, if any of that stuff makes you bloated, then it's the wrong strategy for you. So following mm. those four rules, there's a lot of science behind it. There's like a real iceberg underneath the water. But the application of it is really just having readily available amino acids, glucose, and hydrative nutrients in your body during that time frame. And honestly, I do this on high, low, and medium days. It doesn't matter. You're okay. all, with me. You're always going to train yeah. hypercaloric and live hypocaloric. Yeah, that was that was a big focus point. I mean, it, it's some time ago now, but for the last the last prep I did for a physique show. Um, was was very different in terms of the structure of the actual when I was getting the nutrients throughout the day. Um, the, the approach was quite similar, but the structure was very different. And that was one of the biggest differences I noticed, not only in obviously training performance and how I felt, but particularly around muscle mass retention throughout the whole fat loss phase when I was really emphasizing that period of, of making sure I was getting really good nutrients and, and enough calories and carbohydrates around workout time was made such a big difference um yeah so yeah that it's was, that was a really a good point it'll make a difference in a couple of ways so like the the kind of go-to that people say about having nutrients around the workout window is that you're preventing muscle breakdown while training and that's true right that's kind of people's go-to answer for why they're able to retain muscle during that time but a bigger and more important answer i believe is that you're able to maintain performance better 100 with those nutrients that continued high performance stimulus tells your muscle from an evolutionary biology perspective, hey, we are still under stressors that include lots of load. So if we are in a hypocaloric state, 
due to the current stress capacity, we need to maintain this muscle tissue in case we are exposed to this stress again. Mm. So that stimulus is actually extreme driver of muscle retention as you lean down. So not only do you prevent breakdown to the same degree as if you did not have pre-workout nutrition, but you get a higher degree of stimulus, which actually changes your biology during that hypocaloric state. Yeah, hundred percent. On the the topic of training, how did your I guess did your training split change too much, or was there their focus points for you throughout that um, calorie deficit period on your training to to make sure that you were retaining mass and and maintaining training performance as best that you possibly could? Um, and do you have any advice or, or pointers around how to I guess prioritize certain aspects of training in that fat loss phase? Sure. Yeah, I've got a lot of pointers. So basically, your your training is actually not going to look that different until the mm. end. Um, it's really not. You're going to have increased step count and you're going to have cardio. Okay, so I'll, I'll rephrase it. Your training is not going to look that different. Your weight training is not going to look that different. All right. So your weight training is not going to look that different. And kind of all you're going to do is introduce hypocalorism, introduce a step count and introduce some cardio. Okay, so your step count is basically in place to offset non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So for anybody unfamiliar, that sounds really fancy. Yeah. It's kind of not. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it, it's it's a part. It's how we burn a lot of calories per day. And I'm saying it because it's really relevant. Um, at your non-exercise activity thermogenesis accounts for anywhere from 300 up to 900 calories per day every day. So 900 yeah. calories in the form of crossing your legs, fidgeting bouncing your leg up and down that annoying kid in class who's tapping his pen against his desk <laughs> and in a repeated passion and you want to punch him in the face the, these <laughs> things that we do that are fidgets that that is non-exercise activity thermogenesis the the exercise that is not programmed exercise but things that we do at a very very low degree that accounts for up to 900 calories per day which is a staggering amount of calories when you consider it's just slow or not slow but like autonomic patterns and things that we do when we're just yeah. sitting at the computer that's a lot that your body has a protective mechanism because when it sees you're entering a hypocaloric state it begins to reduce these automatic movement patterns in order to preserve calories to keep body fat on you because it sees that you're under eating so it reduces your calories out every day your physical energy expenditure each day so what we're basically trying to do with the step count is overcome that. So you're going to begin mm. your lean down phase, let's say at 7,000 steps, and then two weeks in, 8,000, two weeks, 9,000, two weeks, 10,000. Right. And you're going to step that up. You're going to step that up based on individual preference, plateaus, how long you're leaning down, this type of thing. Um, one thing I can tell you, though, is I do see benefits begin to stop around 10 to 12,000 for a lot of people okay. and more muscle loss begins to take place. So when you see some people out there at 18, 19, 20,000, I honestly just think that's poor dieting and poor training design. Yeah. Um, you don't need to step that much. It's insane. So, uh, but uh, you're essentially utilizing steps to offset non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and that'll step up throughout your process. Now with cardio, one thing that I learned in the, in the world of cardio, and I'll just tell a quick story. Um, I was getting a, a figure girl ready for a competition and um, what she, she was doing plenty of cardio and not losing weight. And then I could even increase certain components of her cardio and her diet. This girl's hypocaloric and eat doing plenty of cardio and just kind of stuck 
And I'm like, Jesus, I'm looking like a bad coach right now. What the hell's going on? And just kind of just stuck. I'm like, okay, I got to figure something out. Something, uh, there's a lesson to be learned here. And what I found out is a lesson that should be obvious, but it wasn't to me at the time, is that when you are doing, when you are programming someone for cardio, for fat loss, one of the most advantageous things you could ever do is to ensure they stay in a certain heart rate. Okay. So if you do 20 uh-huh. minutes of post-workout cardio at the beginning of your lean down, when you're still a bit overweight and you still haven't, you haven't done cardio all off season long, and uh, you, you've gone okay. from hyper, hypercaloric, you're many kilos heavier than you, than you are say 10 weeks into your lean down phase. That 20 minutes of cardio means something. You actually do break a sweat. Your heart rate does go up and you will drop some body fat from it. But yep. 10 weeks into your lean down, it's nothing. You get in such good shape to where you actually, you can't go by time anymore. You can't really just do 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50. You can't really do that because mm-hmm. what matters now is maintaining a heart rate between 110 and 130 BPM. Okay. You can maintain yep. that 110 to 130 beats per minute. You're ensuring that what, what you're essentially doing with heart rate is offsetting the improvements in their fitness because you're forcing them to stay in a heart rate. And you'll be amazed at how hard people have to work to maintain that heart rate when they're in such amazing shape. You're, you you yep. can't just walk on the treadmill anymore for your post-workout cardio or just kind of go cruise on the step mill. The step mill at the beginning of your lean down is a nightmare. It's the worst yeah. thing in the entire world. And, but then if you don't account for heart rate, 10 weeks into your lane down, you can really rock that step mill out. And your heart rate doesn't actually, your, your heart rate is probably actually less than it was at the beginning because you're yeah. so efficient in movement and you're so cardiovascular in shape and you've lost 10 kilos. All these things have happened and then no one's accounting for your heart rate. Okay. So that's basically a story I learned is when I, this girl was on the step mill and her heart rate was like 80, 90. And I was like, oh, Dan Garner. Yeah. Okay, here's what <laughs> we're going to do moving forward. And then, ta-da, everything, uh, my clients changed moving after that moment. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're moving. Everything's moving <laughs> in the right direction. Because I didn't want to starve the weight off. I wanted to burn the weight off. Like, I didn't want to reduce her calories anymore. Um, so, yeah, she moved in the right direction after that. And then my clients all benefited from that lesson after that as well. So you are going to increase your step count as things move along. You are going to not make the mistake I made and you are going to track heart rate during your steady state cardio and keep it between 110 and 130 so that you offset your improvements in fitness as you begin to drop body fat. Boom. We've we've offset a metabolic adaptation in fitness. We've offset non-exercise activity thermogenesis. From a weight training perspective, I'll typically keep things the same as the off season, very similar because I want to maximize muscle mm-hmm. retention. I don't see weight training as this big fat loss event. I see diet yeah. as the fat loss event. Okay. So weight training, I'm basically training to bring up my weak body parts and keep a stimulus strong enough to maintain my mass during a lean down. All right. You're going to hit a point six weeks out, five weeks out, four weeks out, where that approach just doesn't work anymore because you're starting to get smashed. You, you've been a hypocaloric for a little too long and these off-season workouts are, are rough at this point. Yeah. This is actually when I personally, I'm not going to speak for everybody. This is when I personally like to go to a traditional bro split. So like previously, okay. I might've had someone on like an upper, lower, upper, lower total. 
I like I like that split or just total 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 total. Um, but um, or push pull leg push pull leg. Th- those are kind of, those are kind of the three splits that I really like to work with. But yeah, as as we get close to a it's closer, say four five six weeks out, I do mm-hmm. like to go to the traditional bro split where it's where it is chest day, back day, shoulder day, leg day, arm day. Okay, five days a week, one muscle group. The reason why I like to do that from a mental arousal perspective, if I've been dieting and I wake up in the morning, but I just have to go hit shoulders, that's quite yeah. easy. It's it's easy to muster up the courage to do medial delts. Okay. It's you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's 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 very easy to do that. If I gotta go to the gym and I just have chest or I just have arms, like the, these these are you wake up and you don't. Because like I said at the beginning of the podcast, a lot of fatigue is actually predicated on the way that your perspective is toward the event that you're performing. Yeah. So if I wake up and I'm like, I just got shoulders, I'm gonna knock that shit out. But if I wake up and I've got, you know, pull day, which is my upper back, my lower back, my biceps, my erectors, I'm going to be doing hinge movements. Like I'm like, shit, man, I, I've got now I've got multiple muscle groups all in one. Or like chest and back. However, people want to separate things, like uh, or add things, depending on how you look at it. If I only do one muscle group, it's very easy to be aroused for that. And then because of that, I am able to maximally perform in it. And if I'm mm-hmm. able to maximally perform in it, then I'm able to pr- maximize my stimulus in that workout. And if I'm maximizing my stimulus in that workout, then I'm maintaining that muscle tissue as I get leaner. And by the time I'm doing the bro split, say four or five weeks out, you're not building mm-hmm. muscle anyways. You're not building muscle at that point. Yeah. The whole, the whole, you're not on enough calories. I'm sorry to break it to you. You're not going to grow into the show. That's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> and if you're getting respectably lean anyways, but if you are five weeks out, the point at that point is the growth is over. Now's the time to maintain. So what's mm-hmm. a beautiful way that I can maximize maintenance while minimizing perceived fatigue. Oh, I'm, I'm going to knock out that bro split. It's also yeah. really fun and it's a nice switch. And I can get a freaking massive pump. That's like another kind of uh, under the radar thing is um, if I'm only training one muscle group, but I'm on a little amount of calories. Well, even that little amount of calories can pump up one muscle group. Yeah. Yeah, I see you're on a very small amount, but I can still pump up just my chest. I can still pump up just my delts and you can get a sick pump and your whole day is better. Like I, I, I when you're in hypocalorism, <laughs> much, much better person to be around. <laughs> then, you are. Then yeah. if you're only training legs once a week, then you're only fucking shit person to be around once a week instead of <laughs> yeah. two or three times a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. And you're able to kind of work your way into it, rehearse your way into it, build your way into it. You know, it's coming. It's not yeah. twice a week. It's at a nice frequency. It's not sore by the time you hit it again. You know, it's uh, those are all things that uh, work in your favor and kind of just mentally, emotionally and physically allow you to get through the whole thing and survive the whole thing. So, yeah, it's kind of off the top of my head. Those are kind of some some of the key takeaways I had from a training perspective. Awesome. man! really appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, the, that key takeaway or that learning in particular with the the female who is doing the the cardio and and really switching it over to to heart rate i really like that i've i've written that down and that's definitely something that i'll take into account because you never know what intensity someone's cardio is at um regardless of what they tell you um but yeah. mate i, I want to obviously be respectful of 
your time. I could fucking sit here and talk to you all day, honestly. Um, but I, as I mentioned before we recorded, um, I did want to quickly touch on before we wrap up, just, I guess, a bit of an update or, or some some um, insight into Sugar Sean's prep in the lead up to his big fight. Um, how's it all going? Has there been anything in particular that you guys have really focused in on throughout this fight camp? And I guess one last little question on that on that um, topic, I guess, is actually I'll, I'll I'll ask that in a second. Sorry, too many questions all at once. I'm too excited, here, man. That's that's all good. That's all good. Uh, well, first <laughs> on on a funny note, it's uh, I like that you you call him Sugar Sean because there's so many people like Dan. I've been following your content for so long. Can't wait for Sugar Shane to go in there. I'm like, yes, what? Yeah. So hold on. <laughs> Massive fight fan. Can't wait for Sugar Shane. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are you? So you've been following me for a long time and, and you're calling this man Shane. Get the hell out of here. Um, so yeah, dude, it's uh, that, that's been a funny part. But yes, it's been an amazing story, honestly. Four and a half years ago, um, I wasn't following him. So four and a half years ago, I had a message request and I go and I check out my message requests. And um, at the time, he hadn't had the Instagram handle Shigashan just yet. It was still Shigashan okay. MMA. And uh, I go in there. I see Shigashan MMA. I was like, I think I know that guy. He, I, I definitely know he's from the, the Contender Series. I check in. And it was so like it was so blank and straightforward. It's like, hey, want to help me out for my next <laughs> fight camp? I was like, it Sounds right. exactly like so, his personality. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was one sentence with nothing. And then uh, I was like, damn, this is the dude. All right. So then uh, four and a half years later, we have a title shot, man. And it, it was mm. very, it's been an amazing story. Totally unranked at the time. And then we just blitzed through everybody. And now we got a shot. And he is an unbelievable person to work with, dude. Um, I've said this a bunch in the past, but it can't be said enough. He is one of the most disciplined athletes I've ever worked with, period. Um, a lot of people see him because of his comedy. He's a really funny guy. So he'll post yeah. funny things and do funny things on podcasts. Dude, as I've I've been in Phoenix uh, with him training, been in Peoria with him training, been in um, uh, uh, another city in Arizona with him very close to phoenix can't remember it off the top of my head but uh, the energy in the room changes it really does um mm. he he changes he's like sean is funny but when he changes into sugar the the room does change it's like holy shit now i can now i see the reason why you knock guys out this is nuts um and he uh fast explosive a killer um a, an input output machine i can m give him everything to the gram and i know it's followed so yeah. if we try something new, it's input output. It either worked or it didn't because he's following it perfectly. So yeah, it's like that's, I'm that's we're, awesome. we had, and that from day one. So from it was a 2000 maybe 18 or something like that. It was from day one. He was always like that. Did everything perfectly, and um, uh, constantly I'm doing the blood, urine, saliva, stool analysis on him. He's getting always getting fully dialed in. But then even outside of the stuff, because I'm typically in control of the labs the nutrition, the hydration, the supplementation, the weight cut, those kind of things, but stuff I don't program for like breath work, meditation, sleep optimization, um, training, like uh, 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 mobility work. He absolutely, everything is knocked out from every perspective. So he's, uh, he, he's knocking all of that stuff out on his own, like a machine relentlessly. And this has been one of our longest fight camps ever. So typically, like in the past, we've um, 
had an approach where he will, well, I'll typically have him uh, what I call the off season. So uh, I'll run his off season programming from whatever the off season was until 10 weeks out of a fight. And then from, uh, from 10 weeks out to six weeks out, I call that his bridging phase. So we'll bridge until six weeks out to the fight. We'll go and fight camp because Uh traditionally six weeks has been a real sweet spot for him for fight camp. So we'll typically go from off season to bridge to fight camp. This time this man started fight camp, like 12 weeks out. Like he has been about doubled his fight camp timing. He is an animal animal right now. Like uh, the, the conditioning for the five round fight, um, everything that he's executing, he's, he yeah. is a better version of him that I've ever seen ever. And I, I treated this like a world title fight because every single time he's looking at the next big challenge, like hey, I got to rise to this occasion. Right. But then I got to think that too. Like, how do I yep. make this fight camp better than the last one? Cause I've got it. We, I, I can't just be him performing. I want to perform right there with him. So 12 weeks out, full blood analysis. And then when it came to the bridging system, on top of the uh, all the lab work getting previously done, I had him do doubly labored, labeled water. So we're actually getting a full and complete metabolic test on him. So his exact percentages of energy out, his exact energy in, the amount of body water. It's a more calculated energy balance on someone. Yeah. It's basically gold standard for energy balance. So he did doubly labeled water testing for his metabolic rate and then had him actually do uh, electrolyte testing as well to dial in his electrolyte status. So you're essentially getting an exact composition of the sodium and potassium that he's secreting during training. So his electrolyte solutions wow. that I provide him during training are tailored for his sweat composition. Um, that's being done in the bridging phase. And then moving into camp, I did another round of lab work on him. So between two rounds of labs, doubly labeled water, sweat testing, nonstop feedback, coaching calls, going back and forth, starting camp earlier than before, dude is on fire. So it's a, it, it's been, I can't wait to go. Um, I'm, I'm going to be there all fight week long, um, which is going to be a cool experience for me too. Cause um, I'll be there actually making all the meals in person. Awesome. So I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to show up early in fight week. So I'll be uh, at the hotel, um, uh, basically chef Dan for the whole week <laughs> from, uh, from Monday to Friday, we're going to weigh in. And then of course, Saturday, rehydrate, refuel, get in the cage and dominate. Fuck yeah, man. That's so exciting. I'm, I'm amped up now. I, I love hearing all that stuff. That's crazy. Um, I'm super excited to watch the fight and, um, mate, I'm so appreciative of your time again today. Um, I'm really already looking forward to the next one, Dan. Um, but today's episode has been awesome and I'm sure the audience has taken away a shit ton of value. Um, if you guys have, make sure you screenshot this episode and share it on your socials or share it with a friend. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. Dan, if there's anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap up, man, or anything else that you, you think the audience would value from, um, feel free to to jump in and uh, and let us know. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, one big thing is um, I- I've been behind the scenes. If people have been seeing any of my wake up times, my Instagram stories, you know, I've been grinding hard lately, uh, but that's because I've been working on a lab interpretation software. So essentially what I wanted to do was turn my brain into a repeatable algorithm. And uh, I'm re- returning the corner on that. 
So people can begin to check it out, actually. So if you go to vitalitybp.com, it is not ready yet, but that is going to be where you can opt in to be the first to know when it is ready. Uh, what it essentially is, is you are going to be able to upload your blood work into my software and you will get nutrition, training, lifestyle, and supplement protocols based on your labs. So it's a full Amazing. and complete holistic approach to where I didn't want to just have it spit out supplement protocols or just spit out yeah. um, boring recommendations that you get from other type of softwares. I was, if, I, uh, if I was going to do something, I, I wanted it to be better than anything else that's currently out there. And this is, um, it's, it's been a gigantic overhaul of work and investment, um, but you got to be prideful right? You got to, you got to be yeah. make something that you're proud of, regardless of how you feel during the process. And this is fucking that dude. So you're going to be able to put your blood work in, get training, nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle recommendations, and get my recommended labs, my recommended biomarkers, my recommended optimal reference ranges, that, and a ton more of blood work specific education is all in there. So that's coming up. And uh, you can be the first to know, go to vitalitybp.com. Amazing. We'll have the link to that in the show notes. Um, I will be heading straight there after this. Um, that sounds epic, man. Um, congratulations. And I'm looking forward to following along with that. But Dan, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it, man. And um, thanks so much for everyone who's tuned into this episode as well. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it and taken away some value. And we'll speak to you guys in the next episode.